Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Well, today is Independence Day. And somebody says, well, what does that mean? Like we're in this FOMO series and, and we're getting ready. Like, like is, what does Independence Day mean? And, and where, does that, where does that stand? You know, July the 4th. And I want to give you a little bit of history because today I want to talk about remembering. I think sometimes we need to stop and remember some of the things that are going on because when we remember things correctly, listen, that's key. When we remember things correctly, they'll create passion. When we remember things incorrectly, they'll, they'll cause distractions. They'll cause chains and, and, and you'll move from a state of freedom. We talk about find freedom. When you remember things in the past incorrectly, it really will shackle you down. And so it's one of those things that right now in our culture, it's really crazy how people are trying to rewrite history, saying, oh, well, this was really this, or this was really that. And you say, Pastor, are you going to talk about that today? Absolutely not. We're going to talk about God's Word. But I think it's important for you as we dive in, I want you to mentally check in today, whether you're in person, whether you're online, wherever you're at, I want you to mentally check in because I think one of the issues that creates this fear of missing out is that we remember the past incorrectly. You remember your past incorrectly. And because of that, it creates this entrapment because we're not remembering things correctly. We lose focus in where we're going and we stop realizing who God is and what he's done for us in the past. July the 4th, 1776, a declaration was made. It was a declaration that was, that was really about three things. God-given attributes that all men were created equal, and they have these rights that cannot be disputed. These three main things, the ability to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's the beginning of what would be the Declaration of Independence. That's the reason why we celebrate Independence Day. The reality is, is it actually wasn't July the 4th that this became. It was voted by the Constitutional Congress on July the 2nd. It's just they didn't make the declaration until July the 4th. That's the reason why today we celebrate as the Declaration of Independence, Independence Day. In fact, a few days later in Philadelphia at the Pennsylvania State House, the first audible reading of the Declaration of Independence was made. And after they read that, they rang this big ginormous bell. You know it as the Liberty Bell. And it was when the word was starting to spread. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have internet. They didn't, like, things had to travel. It took several months for different people to sign this document. But on July the 8th, what was then the Pennsylvania State Hall became known as Independence Hall in Pennsylvania. And the Declaration of Independence was starting to spread. And so every year, what do we do? We celebrate this aspect of, of America and us having independence. What were they being independent from, though? You know, that's what was so crazy. Like, we celebrate our freedom, but my question is, well, in order to have freedom, you had to be entrapped by something, right? And we forget what was going on with, with King George and all the taxation without representation and, and all these different events that led up. And all these things are amazing. I had an opportunity a few years back to go to Washington, D.C. I actually went twice in the same year. One is like a pre-trip to kind of scout it out. I was putting together this, this youth camp slash mission trip, helping a church up there that was planning called Waterfront Church. And we went up there with some students. We had a ball. And it's one of those things that I got enthralled. I was like 
this is real. Like, I can't, but like, there's the Capitol. There's the White House. Don't go too close, you'll get tackled. I, you know, I was like, yeah, I was that guy, you know, I was obviously a tourist, you know, and I'm responsible for all these students, and about halfway through, I'm like, okay, you guys are on your own, make sure you get, like, this is cool. And I'm walking through all these memorials and all these different things, and I'm, I'm putting my visual eyes on it. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I've not been able to yet, but one of my bucket list things is I want to get to Israel because I know when I physically see, I physically put my hands on stuff, it helps me to solidify the past. It helps me understand that it's not just this faith and believing in things I can't see and I can't touch. Like I have some concrete things. Like when I was walking around DC, I was like, holy moly, this is awesome. And they're like, you can go to all this stuff. All those museums are free. And I'm like, that is great. And I'm like, wait a minute, I pay taxes. They're not free. They're actually very expensive. But anyway, I was going to all this stuff. And, and then I went to this archive building. And I walked through the archive and I had to get in line. And I finally got up and I went to this, this thick glass. And I'm thinking of the movie National Treasure. And I'm like, is this the real one? Is there a, there a map on the back of this? But I looked with my physical eyes, the Declaration of Independence. And it was one of these like surreal moments, right? And it's faded. I mean, the thing's 225 years old, roughly 250 years old now. And everything's faded, but there's still that one big signature. You know, where Mr. Hancock was like, by golly, I'll let you know that I'm, for, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you could still see him a little bit, but the rest of it, I'm kind of like, I, I guess this is it. They're telling me, I can't really tell. But it's still one of those moments that I was like, dude, this is real. Like these people said, I'm not going to let you oppress me anymore. We're going to declare our freedom from your oppression. And these 13 colonies are now going to be free. And they said, we're going to declare it. And I loved everything about it. But there was one building that really intrigued me. We went around this mall and we're looking at all these monuments and and, and actually, my favorite, if you ever get a chance to go to D.C., is kind of off of the, the main mall. It, there's an FDR. It, it's amazing. You go past the MLK monuments, and then you go, and it's like, all of a sudden, it's like this hidden, and it's amazing. But I'm looking at all the different things. I'm looking at the fallen soldiers. I'm going to Arlington Cemetery. We're watching this, this tomb of the unknown. I mean, I'm just, like, I'm enthralled. Like, this is, this is real. Like, people really did this. Like, I'm looking at all these white crosses, and I'm going, people gave up their lives so that I could have my pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of... And it still hit me like today, but it all started with what? A verbal declaration. And I want to ask you one question before we dive into God's Word. He ever declared your freedom? I'm not talking about your, your Americano, by golly, God bless America, because I'm one of them. I'm talking about your spiritual freedom. See, the first thing they had to realize is they were being oppressed by something, and they had to realize there was something more other than oppression, and they declared their independence from that oppression. In fact, if you were to read the Declaration of Independence, it talks about God and this nature of God that every man was created equal and that we all have these rights. But there's one, there's one date that's really one of my favorites. It's September the 18th, 
1793. September the 18th, 1793. In fact, a lot of you guys are doing this and you don't even realize what you're doing. And I just want to kind of give you the rest of the story before we dive in, because I want you to hear the story rightly. Like right now with everything that's going on, you need to know that what was going on in our country was a group of Puritans that were searching for religious freedom that was founded on godly principles. It's the reason why on our dollar bills and on our money we say, in God we trust. It's the reason why we have these different mottos. It's the reason why if you go into this, this Capitol building and in the rotunda and this say you have these different statues and these different figures and like it all, it's all there. But it's amazing if you step out and don't know the story, how quickly you can get enthralled. Well, the difference in that is, it's actually about a year before the first uh, head of the state, Thomas Jefferson, had a contest. And the contest was simply this, for $500, $500, a whopping $500 in 1970 or 1792, he was going to give $500 to whatever architect could give a plot of land, like schematically design what would end up being the capital. Like they have this plot of land, they said, we're gonna give you $500 plus one plot of the land, and you give us the, the structure of what was going to be what we now know as Washington, D.C. Well, they had all these people submit different things and none of them were approved. And so after the contest was ended, a gentleman by the name of Sir Thornton, he actually asked if he could submit something to the Congress. It ended up being accepted. He ended up being known as the first architect of the United States. Later on, he would be put into an official office. And what you know is the grid of Washington, D.C. and the way that it all was set up is where he came up with this architectural concept. Well, what's cool, though, is on September the 18th, 1793, is when they took a little journey. President Washington had this big parade. He had all these things going on. And they marched up this thing called Jenkins Hill. And they would lay the cornerstone of this one amazing building that I was most intrigued with in D.C. that you know as the Capitol Building. And in the process of hiking up there, they laid this cornerstone. They had this big band. They had this big celebration. And they talked about this new area, a.k.a. Washington, D.C., and how it was going to be laid out and how the grids were going to work and how these different buildings were going to be and how no building would ever be taller than the top of the Capitol building and all this different architectural structure. But that wasn't what intrigued me. What intrigued me the most is in the middle of all this, President Washington went and got a 500-pound ox. And to celebrate, they roasted it. And ever since that moment, the United States and what we know as the barbecue has been a tradition in our country. See, all of you guys, they were like, we're going to barbecue. We're gonna, I don't know why we barbecue. We, we barbecue because it was what was set out on a very meaningless every day in September that George Washington, in the process of just feeding the multitude, said, we're going to roast this big ox and hence the American national food a.k.a. barbecue, was born. We do it not even knowing why, right? Like, why do we hang these flags? Why do we have these barbecues? Why? And the reason why we don't know is because we never stop time to actually remember. I want us to stop and remember today. I want us to stop and, and not talk about the national barbecue, even though I think it's a really cool story. 
and where it all was founded and where it was started with the laying of the cornerstone of the Capitol building. But what I do want to do is for us to stop and remember something's bigger. So if you have your Bibles, whether it be paperback or on your phone or whatever you may be, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13. I'm going to, there's a lot of scripture. I'm going to pick up the pace, so make sure that you're ready. We're going to get through this. It's going to be an awesome day. But basically, the storyline is simply this. Let me set the stage. This is three days after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The, the ladies have already went to the tomb, and they have heard from the angel that he is no longer there. This story has got back to the disciples. Now, now you need to understand something. God's word is the inerrant word of God. But when we say disciples, we always think of like the 12 disciples, and one of them was a knucklehead that betrayed him. At this moment, the disciples is starting to grow. Disciples is a name that has been given to a many different people that would submit to Christ and under his discipleship. In this biblical time, you would have different philosophical teachers, and the people that would sit under their teaching and adopt those teachings were called disciples. And so, yes, there was the original 12 disciples, one that was a knucklehead and betrayed him. Then they add a 12th with Matthias that you'll see later on in God's Word in the New Testament. But there's more disciples that are becoming a part of Jesus' teaching and doing what's going on. Well, two of them take off to go towards home on this road to Emmaus. And I want to pick up the story and let's really learn something from today about celebrating our independence. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, verse 14. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, this is Jesus talking, what things? Now, can I hit a pause button for just a minute? I love this story because Jesus is kind of putting them on a hook. Like realize that Jesus is still Jesus. Even, they, even though they don't recognize who he is, he still is exactly who they are. You know, he knows more about them than they know about them. He's still fully God. And he's in the process in this transfiguration, and I want to be careful the way I use that. This isn't the transfiguration where he leaves and goes up, but he is in something that's different. He has been resurrected. He's in a resurrected body. He is in something that is different than what they are recognizing at this time. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But obviously he's asking a question that he already knows the answer to. I'm fixing to give some of you some major freedom. Listen to me. There are times in your life that you're asking a question and you need to know that God already has the answer. See, God shows his ultimate authority that he can completely be in control but yet still give you a choice. Like there's never a point that God's sovereignty stops where all of a sudden you're just like, well, I'm good. God says, you know what? I'm gonna completely stay in control but you're not gonna be robots you're not going to be enslaved. It's a choice. It's a love relationship. If you choose me, I have already chosen you. 
Sometimes in your spirit, you're struggling with different things. You're trying to look for an answer. Can I give you a little bit of heads up? Sometimes God's putting different, different questions in your spirit. He's asking you different things in your prayer life. He's asking you different things in your study. And you need to know that just because you don't know the answer, him putting the question in your mind is not him asking something he doesn't know. He's trying to guide you. We use the word discernment. If you will take a moment in your life to start looking at the questions God's placing in your heart, rather than trying to find the answers to life, the questions will lead you further than the answers. Like, that's really good. Did you get that? Like, a lot of times we're trying to, to find the answer, right? And it's really about us listening to God asking the right questions. Like, if we don't start with the right question, you can never get to the right answer. And that's what he does. He says, he says what, what are these things you're talking about? Like, what? I realize, I mean, like, he's the one that was crucified. <laughs> he's Jesus. Like, uh, what are you talking about? There was what? So they start telling him. Listen to how they respond. It's hilarious. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to condemn to death and crucified him. But listen, here's, here's the key. Listen to this. If you have a paper Bible, underline verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a visitor, vision of an angel who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So can I help you? Can I give you the Mickey Clark translation and be very careful? What they're talking about is they're talking about something they've not experienced, something that they've heard. They don't know if this story's really taking place. They're on their way to Emmaus, talking to somebody they don't know, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute because in the end I'm going to hit three points and be done like that. But it's one of those things that they're trying to recognize what's going on, and they're telling this story, but they're telling the story based on things they have heard, not based on experience that they have. Can I put it a simpler way? They're not remembering rightly. They're talking from a vantage point of everybody else's faith rather than a vantage point of their own faith. You know what the number one struggle in most people's life is? Your whole life is built around somebody else's faith, not your own faith. Your whole life is built around somebody else telling the story of who Jesus is rather than your life and what the story is. You may tell you why you get shackled and chains and you don't remember things correctly. It's because you're trying to live out somebody else's story rather than God letting him write your story. Like for whatever reason, this fear of missing out, I talked about this comparison and how we start to look at different things and we don't really know. Listen to me. You have a great story. Listen to me. Your story is an amazing story. Just like we say everybody has a right to go on the journey, 
Listen, I don't care what has happened in your life. Nothing has disqualified you from the amazing declaration that you can be free today through Christ Jesus. But for those of you that say, well, I don't have this like really bad situation, praise the Lord. We need your story. We need to know what it's like when people do things the right way. Yes, God redeems everybody. Just like we don't disqualify somebody that makes poor decisions, we don't belittle somebody that makes right decisions. We need everybody's story. And then Jesus responds to them, this is their issue because their faith is based on what somebody's told them rather than what they've experienced. In verse 25, and he being Jesus said to them, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So he's starting to remind them, right? He's starting to tell them the things that he's already taught them. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures and the things concerning him. And then in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to where they were going. He acted as if he was going to go further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, but it's towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. Verse 30, Ooh, this is a good one, underline it if you have paperback. When he was at a table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. I'm gonna get to what that means in just a minute. But realize there's a moment in time where they don't even know it's Jesus. But all of a sudden, when they start doing the godly things again, they realize who the godly are. Let me tell you some of the reasons why you don't know the right questions, you don't know the right answers, you don't know where God is, it's because you're not practicing godly things. You can't go do whatever in the heck you want to do and expect God to show up and just be like, woohoo, this is great. Because sometimes, here's, here's the thing, let me tell you what drives me on a regular basis, here's confessions of the not so rich and not so famous, okay? One of the things that drives me in my obedience is because I know that for whatever reason, I'm thankful to God because he has his hand on a group of people and amazing people called Crossroads Community Church. And I don't want to do something that makes God say, "Mm, yeah, I can't bless that till there's forgiveness. And so, you know what I do? I say, I'm going to be obedient. You say, "Is is that moralist? Is that legalistic? No, no. It's called obedience. Like sometimes if you can't do it for yourself, do it for the people you love that are around you. Because you want God to bless you, right? You want God's favor to be on you, right? Can I talk to all the married couples? You say, oh man, I want to have a great marriage. Listen, bring your best self to the dance every morning. Rather than trying to make marriage what you think marriage should be, do yourself a favor. Bring your best self to the dance. I promise when you bring your best self to the dance, the dance gets amazing. For all my single people out there who I love very much, that I'm watching God do amazing things, listen to me. Bring your best self to the wedding day. Don't compromise in the process saying, well, I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be single. I need somebody. Listen to me. You will have the rest of your life to celebrate marriage. And it is awesome. I've been married 23 years, fixing to be 24, and I'm looking forward to another 26, 28. I just hope physically I can hold out long enough, you know? I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight. Why? Because I don't want to miss it with Amy Lou. I want to sit on Cracker Barrel and rock in the chair and play checkers and eat biscuits and ham, and I wonder why I can't lose weight, right? But it's one of those things that, you know, have all this stuff and have a lot. I don't want to miss it. 
I don't want to miss the grandchildren that are going to come. You say, how many? Well, I had five kids. I'm expecting a lot of grandkids. They better do their part. You know what I'm saying? I did my part. But I don't want to, I want them to come over and see Pops and Lolly, and we want to laugh. We want to come. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to have a fear of missing it. He said, Megan, how do I not miss it? Be obedient. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. That's a lie. There's a moment where there has to be a declaration. There's a moment where there has to be a declaration where you say, you know what? I'm not going to be enslaved by the people that are oppressing me. If I want to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which are God-given, then I got to go submit to a God that's able to give that to me. And you know what? Sometimes that's going to be battles. Sometimes there's going to be wars. Sometimes there's going to be conflict. Sometimes you're going to go to a cemetery and give thanks to people that left their life so that you could have yours. Every Easter, that's what we celebrate, right? Somebody that gave his life so that we could have life. But yet we want to live like nobody did. We want to live like this is something that we're creating. Listen to me. You're not the creator of life. You're not the one that's going to give these unbelievable attributes in your life. And that's what he's trying to tell. He's trying to get them to remember. And so when they started doing godly things again, when they broke that bread, when they did that Lord's Supper, there is something that took place that all of a sudden they could see and realize who it was. And it says that their eyes were open. But listen to what it says. This is great. Listen to me very carefully. Verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Listen to me, there's three things I want you to get and then I'm done. Three simple things. The first thing is if you go back to verse 17, their emotions were blinding to them. Do I believe that God's created us to be an emotional person? Absolutely. Do you need to be careful in trusting your emotions? Absolutely. If you read where it says that their eyes were closed, it talks about this spirit of sadness that was in them. One of the reasons why they didn't recognize who Jesus was is they were too emotional about what had just happened, that their emotions were blinding them to what reality is. Listen to me, your past can be emotional. Your mind is a very powerful thing. Have you ever heard the saying, reality is truth? Your reality is truth? Guess what? That's not true. You know what the truth is? The truth. You need to learn to remember correctly. Because if you don't learn to remember correctly, then you're going to disqualify the things that are happening in your life. I don't know what you've come through. I don't know the struggles you've had. I don't know the abuse that may have been there, the addiction may be there, or the things that you've done right. I have no idea. I don't know how you was treated by a parent, a step-parent, an uncle, a cousin. I have no idea. All I, want, I don't want to belittle. I want to lift you up. Feelings are real. There are things that have happened in your life. There are things that you're going through. There are things that you struggle with. Those things are very real. But you can't let that blind you to such a point that you don't recognize that Jesus is sitting right beside you. He's walking with you. The problem is you just don't recognize it. 
The second thing that I realize is, is not only does it hurt them as far as the emotions, but in verse 22, if you were to go back, it caused them to have a lack of faith. You know the reason why most people have a faith issue? Because they don't know what to have faith in. They know the little vacation Bible school answer. Well, I love Jesus. I trust Jesus. I have faith in God. Okay, what does that look like? Like, talking about faith but not walking in faith is not much of a faith. I had a professor in seminary that's made it this way. I thought this was really good. He said, faith is, is getting to the end of your rope and not just hanging on. Faith is getting to the end of the rope, tied to knotting it up and swinging and having a ball in your faith. It's trusting that there's something more to come. It's not just hanging on for dear life. It's getting to the end of it and saying, well, by golly, it's just time to swing and trust something bigger than me. The second thing that I wrote down that tells us in this story is not only is there emotions that can be blinding of his presence and it can deter our faith, but in verse 30 through 31, when we do the things to remember God, it opens our eyes to who he is. Like if you truly want to know who God is in your life and how to move forward in your life, let me give you a little heads up. Do things that will cause you to remember who Jesus really is. I think that when he broke that bread and he started partaking the Lord's Supper again, all of a sudden Cleopas and this other gentleman that does not know his name is not mentioned, all of a sudden their eyes are open. You know what happens? They start realizing, wait a minute, I know what this is. I know who this is. And then the last thing. When we remember the right way, we're eager to tell people the truth. So I want you to think about this story. They open up their eyes, they realize it's Jesus. They're having a faith issue. They've been talking to this guy who opened up scriptures. Even in scripture it says, they did not burn in our hearts. So there was a spirit in them that let them know that, hey, this is a little bit different. But they still were struggling in their faith, struggling in their beliefs, struggling with, and all of a sudden when they really realized who Jesus was, it's like I was talking about earlier with DC, when they put their hands, when they really realized what was going on, their whole testimony changed, right? He vanished, an hour later, they're headed back, seven miles. Just remember earlier, what they say? Stay with us, it's late in the day, it's not a good time to travel, oh, it could take a little risk, this is when the robbers come out, this is when people get mugged, this is when things happen. Stay with us, Jesus. All of a sudden, they break bread, their eyes are open, and they're like, dude, we gotta get back and tell everybody. I got to go tell them, like, we need to, and they walk back in, and all of a sudden, the first thing they say is, Simon was right. Jesus has risen indeed. So it leaves me with two questions. Two simple questions. When we remember stuff, I believe it creates passion. If we remember correctly. So the simple question I have for you is, today, what are you remembering? Like right now, there's a battle going on in our culture, right? Of what this nation was founded on and why it was founded and what was going on. And, and it, it, was, it wasn't founded on freedom and inalienable rights. It was founded on other issues and trying to oppress people. And it's, all, it's lies. I'm trying to be careful and walk a tightrope here, you know. But it's, it's lies. That's not, we were founded on life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You say, what makes you say that? 
the Declaration of Independence. It's a document that you can Google and you can read it, and it says exactly what we, it gives a list of why they made this declaration. It was what was read and they rung the Liberty Bell before it ever got cracked. It was what everything was founded on. It's the reason why our mottos are what they are. It's the reason why when you go to state houses, you see all these attributes of justice and scales and God and who he is. But yet everybody wants to rewrite the story. Why? Because if they can get you off of the right story, then they can write your story. See, here's how it looks in your personal life. You have people that bring up stuff that speak stuff into your life that ain't your past. It's their past and their hurts and their struggles, but it doesn't have to be your past. Like you may have had a separation in your life and you know what happened. But you got people that they love you, but unfortunately they don't guide you correctly and they speak stuff into your life that just not, and it oppresses you and it gives you shackles and it gives you chains. You've had people that you may have went to, maybe been a counselor. They said, oh, well, what's really going on? And it's like, there's something that you have done. Listen to me. There's this major spiritual warfare that's going on on a regular basis. We don't talk about that a whole lot from, from the pulpit, do we? But there is a spiritual battle that is raging. It's all around us. If we could put on like, like these goggles that let us see the spiritual, right now we'd be amazed at how much God is in this room, but how eager the people outside of this room and the, and the lack of God in this world is wanting to steal, kill, and destroy. But if we remember correctly our past, it points us to a faithful God of our future. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.